Well, good morning again. Um, I don't think God is cool is in the Bible. But I think when we say that, I think God's up there and he has a little smile on his face. And, and he's like, yeah. And not because he thinks he's cool, not because he thinks he's all that, but because he's, he's worthy of it. And he understands that when we try to express our love for him and express our appreciation for him, he's, he's contemporary. God can be contemporary and, and understand our stuff. So God is cool, amen? Amen, even though it's not in the Bible. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4, chapter 7, I mean, Ecclesiastes 4, verses 7 through 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. So please open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 4, verses 7 through 12. Now, how many of you have ever asked someone, uh, hey, could you give me a hand with this? Or could you help me with something? And how many of you have ever asked someone, could I bounce an idea off of you? Hey, I have this idea. Can I, can I bounce this off of you? And how many of you have ever asked someone, hey, could I talk to you for a minute? I got something that, that's bothering me, or I need someone to talk to. God created us for community. Right from the start, God said to Adam, he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. God created us for community. And if it wasn't good in Eden, that perfect place, uh, it certainly isn't good here outside of Eden. God created us for community. And today's passage addresses this idea of solitude, or to put it positively, it addresses the value of community. So I'm going to read the passage. So again, Chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, verses 7 through 12. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil or, or labor or work. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, again we thank you for your word, and we trust that you will teach us this morning through it, Lord, especially this uh, idea of community, Lord, which you um, talk about so often in, in your word, Lord. So help us to grow, Lord, this morning, grow in faith and knowledge of you. Draw us closer together, Lord, as we draw closer to you. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to notice that the main idea of the passage is verse 9. It's, it's two are better than one. That's the main idea. Okay, two are better than one. Then immediately after, in verses 10, 11, and 12, Solomon gives three illustrations of that main idea. And Solomon also 
before that main idea, verses 7 and 8, shares an anecdotal story about this, this main idea, two are better than one. So the story from verses 7 through 8 is about a person who works hard. He's, he works hard, he climbs the corporate ladder, so to speak, he's rich, he's successful, but the one thing that Solomon points out is that he's alone. He has no other, either son or brother. So here's a guy, could also be a woman in today's culture, who basically has it all, yet he is, he's never satisfied with his, with his riches. So Solomon throws a question in there that, that the guy should be asking himself. So his question is, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? Now he himself didn't even understand uh, what, what he, why he did what he was doing. He didn't get it himself. The point is that the guy is so selfish, he's so absorbed in work, that he never asks, for whom am I doing this? If he did ask the question and answered it honestly, he'd have to answer, oh, I'm doing this all for myself, and that's why I'm never satisfied with my riches. So now, I want to point out that Solomon isn't speaking about riches here per se. He, he's, he's, it isn't a statement against being rich. It's more of a statement against the person who is so driven, so focused, that he or she won't get let, it, let anyone get in their way to, to achieve their goal. And, and almost as importantly, no one else is going to take credit for what they achieve. And then, once at the top, they realize that, that, that it's a lonely place at the top. Uh, I'm, I don't know, this, this picture... Uh, reminds me of Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, he's wealthy, he's stingy, yet he's also very, very lonely. And he thinks he prefers it that way until, you know, through the ghosts, he's, he's shown another way. And this is, a, this is a common theme in popular culture. It's very common uh, in the movies. Uh, this idea of someone getting to the top and realizing that it's, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. So which, which brings us to verse 9. Two are better than one. It says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Now thinking about this lonely guy at the top leads Solomon into thinking about the benefits of community. Now Solomon's saying, he's saying how much better would it be if you were able to earn your riches in the context of community? He's saying how much more rewarding to have achieved your status and position with the help of others. And not only receiving help, but giving help along the way so that others might achieve as well. And how much more fruitful to have been an example uh, to others in humility and deference and in sharing your success with others. And how much more productive to work together or in community if you can. Now, I, I used to go to this go to church with this guy who, who brought his family over from South, from South Africa. And, and he was earning money doing odd jobs, you know, odd yard jobs. Uh, um, uh, so he's earning a few extra dollars. And, and I had been praying for overtime. I was, I was looking for extra income myself. But I had one thing he didn't have. I had a beat up old pickup truck. And uh, so we ended up working together on Saturdays. And on most days, we were able to do so much more together 
than we would have uh, done separately. And, and we talked about that often. I mean, it doesn't seem logical on the surface. You know, you go over there, you do four hours worth of work. I go over there, and he does four hours of work, and then you get eight hours. But what ended up happening was we would get like 12 hours worth of work done, even though we each worked together only four or five hours. It, it just it doesn't seem logical that how it works. You know, we were, we were more motivated working together. Uh, maybe we were subconsciously pushing one another. You know, I don't know. It just, uh, and, and we also had, you know, as an added benefit, we had fellowship, you know, driving back and forth uh, to these jobs. And we had a blast, you know, making fun of each other's country. I mean, he's from South Africa, and, and he's like, you know, always saying, you Americans, this. And, and I didn't know anything about South America, so, I mean, South Africa. So all I could say was, well, you guys talk funny, you know, or, or you guys drive on the wrong side of the road, or, you know, what is this game you play called cricket? You know, what's up with that? You know, but that, he had all this ammunition, and I, that's all I had. But anyway, two are better than one because they're a good reward for their toil. So Solomon essentially says two are better than one in many instances, especially when working. The New Living Translation says, for they can help each other succeed. Uh, the Good News Translation says, because together they can work more effectively. So that, that's the idea. And then Solomon gives some examples to help prove his point. So with these examples, it, it seems that the context or, or the idea Solomon is uh, using here is the idea of a journey. So, so think of the idea of a journey. Uh, perhaps he had in mind a journey from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee. You know, I don't know, it's like 70 miles. It's this long, long road. In other words, as, as we read these uh, verses, maybe we can think of you know, the Vermont Long Trail. Okay, we're, we're on the Vermont Long Trail, and we're taking this advice from Solomon. Now, many experts, uh, I mean most experts uh, for, for sports or, or activities will advise against going it alone. You know, whether you're hiking or biking or kayaking or weightlifting. You know, when you're weightlifting, you should have a spotter. Um, even work. You know, I used to be a machinist working with metal and sharp objects, and, and they never would let me work alone. You know, because I, I, you know, I could cut my hand off and bleed to death and nobody would know it. So, you know, a guy coming in, I mean, a guy with me, if I got hurt, would be able to help me. So it, it's just a good idea for, for obvious safety reasons. And Solomon points those, those reasons out. So Solomon says in verse 10, he says, okay, let's say you're hiking the long trail. You, you should go with someone in case one of you falls. He says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I mean, that's good advice. The trail is, is, is full of rocky places. There are exposed tree roots. Uh, just ask my wife. Uh, I think uh, we like to go hiking. I'm, I'm good for a fall at least twice a summer. Um, the trail can be steep up or down. You know, going down, uh, more accidents happen going down the trail than, than going up. But if you fall or get seriously injured, uh, your hiking companion can help. And then Solomon says, well, what if it gets super cold and one of you forgets his sleeping bag? Well, again, if two lie together, 
they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So there's more good and practical advice. It, it could even save a life. Uh, and then finally, Solomon uses a third example to support his, his point that two are better than one. He says, what if you come across some jerks on the trail? You know, wh what if you get attacked? I mean, this is, I mean, I'm joking, but this happens on, on the Appalachian Trail. You know, every year somebody gets attacked. Solomon says, although a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And even better, a threefold cord uh, is not quickly broken. So he's saying the more the better. So using this example, not only are you, you more likely to resist an attack uh, on, on the trail, you know, whether it's in Jerusalem or the Long Trail, you're, you're much more likely not to get attacked uh, in the first place because there's safety in crowds. I, I found it interesting. Uh, my son's in Boston this weekend for a conference and I was helping him plan. And uh, on the hotel website it suggests that students park in the Boston Common uh, parking garage, which is underground and it's about, you know, two or three blocks away. And then right underneath it advises that while Boston is considered a very safe city, if you go out into the town, uh, they suggest you don't go alone. You, know, you go with one or two others. Now this is on the website of a, you know, a fairly prestigious hotel. And I'm thinking, wow, they must have read Ecclesiastes. You know, <laughs> so, um, so I, I mentioned the, the verse, a threefold chord is quickly broken. So what does that mean? It's a, it's a verse, believe it or not, often quoted at men's events, you know, men's conferences, men's uh, Bible studies, and it's, it's a, a verse in support of, of men having friends, you know, not going it alone. You know, I, I've heard that verse you know, more times than, than I can remember. So why did Solomon use a rope illustration, you know, specifically a rope with three strands or three cords. Well, I did a little research. Interesting, interestingly to me, ropes have been made uh, from three strands for, for um, centuries, uh, even, even centuries uh, before Solomon, you know, as, as opposed to one strand or two strands or, or four or five. Now, I'm not saying they're, they're not made with one or two or four or five strands. It just seems like the most common form of rope has been made with three strands, and this goes back thousands and thousands of years. Rope makers, both ancient and modern, have found that in general, ropes with three strands provide the best balance of strength and function or usability. And Solomon uses this three strand uh, as a metaphor for the value of community. Uh, people in community have the best balance of strength and function, he's saying. It, it's interesting because Solomon started talking about the one guy. And, and then he says two are better than one. And then he says three are better than two. So why did he stop at the number three? Well, he stopped at the number three because it's not really about the numbers. It's not really about the one, two, three, four, or, or ten, or whatever have you. It's not about the numbers. It's about community in general. He's using that as, as an illustration. Solomon says about the one guy, this is also vanity. You know, um, 
who is telling me he hates the word vanity? Oh, Dan Keogh. He's like, why do you use the word vanity? Why don't we just use useless or meaningless? All right, so this is also useless or meaningless and an unhappy, and an unhappy business. But when he talks about the other guys, or the two or the three, he doesn't call that useless or meaningless. He calls that better. He calls it better. Things done in community are simply better, much better, he's saying. And as mentioned before uh, from the NLT, they can, they can help each other succeed or, or because they can work together more effectively. And, and we'll talk about more reasons as we go on. So uh, let's review. It should be easy for us to see application here, okay? For, for both us as individuals and, and, and us as a, a church body. So he says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. I mean, there are very few endeavors in life that are performed more efficiently with one hand than with two. Can you agree with me? You know, uh, two hands are always better than one. So it stands to reason that in most instances two people or, or more are better than one. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, where we used to go to church years ago, there was an elderly couple there, Craig and Ann, and, and Craig uh, was one of the elders, and they were having some health issues. So we asked, how, we could, how could we help you? Well, they have a beautiful little, you know, adorable little yard with you know, these tiny little gardens and stuff, and they had been in, in neglect for a while. So we said, all right, we'll take care of it. So a bunch of us went over their house, Okay, in about three hours, you know, there was like 10 of us just totally cleaned this place up, you know, raked and weeded and cleaned the gutters, you name it. 10 of us did all this. And then afterwards, we hung out for a meal and we had a great time. Nobody wanted to go home. All that work got done uh, because we were together in community. Now, if Craig had to do that by himself, you know, it would have taken days. It would have taken days. And they were so blessed by that, and we were blessed by that. We just had a great time. And then in verse 10, he says, If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. I mean, of course, we can take this literally. If two are journeying upon you know, the Vermont Trail and somebody falls, uh, we can help him up. But we can also apply this to our spiritual life, can't we? When we are tempted, you know, we can receive from a godly friend you know, the strength to overcome that temptation. Or when we stumble, you know, we can receive the rebuke of a godly friend to help us to get back on track, uh, at reminding us of, of our forgiving Savior. Uh, that, that's community. And of course, we can do the same for others. Uh, we can provide encouragement when someone is down and share in rejoicing over spiritual uh, victories. Uh, there's also a special power in the prayers of, of two or more together. I mean, Jesus promised himself. And I, and I know this isn't within the context of, of uh, unity in the church, but Jesus said, again, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. And that's from Matthew 18. Now, again, the actual number is not important. 
he's talking about community. Uh, if four of you get together, it doesn't mean you know, what Jesus said isn't going to work. You know, it, it's, it's not about the numbers. The point is, uh, is community. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them two by two. Uh, part of the reason for this was in obedience to the Old Testament uh, because there was a requirement for, for two witnesses. But there were practical reasons as well. I mean, we could apply what, what Solomon said. They would be more effective together. They would be more efficient together. Uh, they would offer encouragement and help to one another. Uh, they could provide comfort to one another, whether, whether physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, they would be much stronger together. And on the surface, you would think that sending out, um, sending out 12 individuals would cover more ground, right? If you, if you think about a clock, you know, let's say, let's say they're in Jerusalem and, and you send, you know, each of the 12 out, you could cover a lot of ground. You know, practically speaking, we might think, yeah, that's it. But, um, and then in Luke 10, Jesus sent out 72 people. So imagine how much ground you could cover with 72 individuals. Right? But he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He sends them out in pairs. Two are indeed better than one. And by the way, Jesus was God, yet he found a value in community. He was raised in a family. He had companions. He had friends, friends whom he loved and the disciples. And when Jesus... When Jesus calls someone to faith in him, he calls someone to faith in a community like us, like here in, in this church. So I'm going to close with some questions for you to think about. And uh, I had so much material, I, I think I'm going to talk about community for the next couple of weeks. So here are some questions to think about, and we'll, we'll address these in the next few weeks. Do you have someone in your life to help you grow spiritually? Do you have someone in your life to help you grow spiritually? Do you have a buddy who knows when you're down? Who, who will notice and speak to you when you're in trouble? Who will pick you up when you fall? Do you know what it's like to find comfort in the friendships you have with other believers? Do you know what it's like to find comfort? Whether here or another church or a Bible study, whatever that is. Do you have or recognize the protection that comes from community? There's protection being involved in community here. Not just physical protection, but spiritual and emotional protection. So think about these questions. We'll talk more about them in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, you call us to community, but community is meaningless. It's vanity apart from you. Let us be united in our love for you, our Savior, Lord. Let us be united in our love for each other. Let us be united in our desire to share your salvation with a broken and fallen world, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this community here. We thank you for the many blessings that you have provided through 
and by Panton Community Baptist Church, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.